Welcome to the Roden Fellow Podcast. I am your host this week, Parker Owens, Senior Communication Major from Morehouse College. Just a little bit about the Roden Fellows. The Roden Fellows are a collective of six HBCU student journalists chosen by legendary New York Times columnist Bill Roden. We are mentored and advised by the brilliant minds at The Undefeated, where we produce content and serve as campus correspondents for our respective universities. Now I would like the other Roden Fellows to introduce themselves. Hi, everybody. My name is Jayla Jones, and I am a senior business major currently attending Prairie View A&M University. And hi, guys. My name is Alex Williams. I am a junior at Howard University studying broadcast journalism with a minor in sports administration from New Orleans, Louisiana. Thank you, guys. And joining us today is NBA writer Mark Spears of The Undefeated. How are you doing today, Mr. Spears? Oh, man, I'm, I'm seeing a down stretch of uh, the bubble. Uh, we have game two tonight. I got people here thinking there's going to be a sweep. I've been here since July 12th, so uh, it's, been a, it's been a long time. I'm exhausted, but at least now I know that the latest it could go is uh, October 14th, so my mind is, is prepared for the worst, knowing that it could potentially or is expected now to end sooner and I could be back in my own bed soon. I know. Life in the bubble seems like it's been very tenuous for all journalists. Yeah, no, I think this is history. I'm proud to be a part of it. I think that uh, there's a lot of journalists that wish they were in my shoes, that wish they were a part of that. So I, I don't take that for granted. I take a lot of respect in representing the undefeated in here. I know that, you know, this is going to be something that's going to be a part of history books. This is something that's going to be a part of a lot of discussions, not even basketball-wise, but medically. And so, I'm, you know, I'm getting tested every day. I'm getting my oxygen taken every day. I'm getting my uh, COVID test daily. And it's, it's not a game, man. They don't, they don't play on it. If you didn't take a test, you will get harassed. If you didn't take a test, you can't go to the games. You can't go to practice. This is, to me, the safest environment in the world. And for a lot of reasons, I, I really appreciate being here. And there'll probably be some things I missed, too. All right. Well, let's get into it. This week, we saw Doc Rivers both get fired from the Los Angeles Clippers and get hired by the Philadelphia 76ers. My first real thought is, what happened over in Los Angeles that led to his firing? Was it just the blowing a 3-1 lead, or was there a culmination of events that led to his firing? Yeah, Parker, that's a good question that I don't know if I have the right answer for. Sometimes somebody has to be the scapegoat. Perhaps Doc had to be a scapegoat because they had a 3-1 lead and blew it. Based on what I saw being at that game, it seemed as if those guys had given up. They looked fatigued. They looked like they needed to be in better shape. There didn't seem much fight from the beginning. In fact, their wives, their girlfriends, their family members that were at that game seven between the Clippers and the Nuggets seemed to have more energy than they did. It, it was just, just really, really odd to see. So perhaps what the owners saw is we're, if these guys lost three straight games, then that's bigger than basketball. Maybe they need a different voice. Maybe they need somebody that could bring them some different energy. Because that, that certainly, there's a lot of embarrassing things that have happened in the history of the Clippers and that's hard to defeat. And that just rolls up to number one. It's still stunning that they did not play the Lakers in the conference finals. Um, 
and it was certainly to the Lakers' benefit. I, I did think they had the talent to beat the Lakers, but we'll never know, and they didn't earn the right to do it. So with Doc, he's one of the more storied coaches, not in the NBA just now, but in NBA history. He's two wins away from being the 10th winningest coach in NBA history. He's, he's won a championship. He, he's had a lot of success. He's the you know, winningest coach in NBA, I mean, in, in uh, Clippers history. Sure, he ranks up there in Celtics history. And I, I think it was, you know, we'll, we'll see if the Clippers end up regretting it. But their loss was certainly Philadelphia's game. And uh, I, I think that, you know, New Orleans perhaps might end up offering them the job. And um, maybe the Chicago Bulls regretted not waiting a little longer to perhaps bring home one of their own. But with Embiid, with Ben Simmons, with the other talent, I think Doc will be a great coach there. And um, I think they'll um, – if, they if they're healthy, they're another team that you got to worry about next season. Yeah, you talked about, um, you know, Doc and the move to the Sixers. When you first heard that, like, what was your first, your first you know, organic reaction to hearing that, especially since the move was so quick? I think the one thing is there's a perception, understandably so, by a lot of black coaches that black coaches don't get the good job. That they always get the rundown car that they got to fix up. They never get the, the Ferrari when it's available. Well, this is a Ferrari job. Yeah, you know, Joe Embiid could be challenging the coach, and, but he's super talented. He's, he's a superstar. Ben Simmons is a superstar. They, they got great complimentary pieces. Um, I think Doc is good at bringing the best out of people, even though the, the Clippers thing ended the way it ended. That new voice that they'll have in Philly, I think, is going to bring a lot out of them. So I was, wasn't surprised. I, I respected the fact that Philly, like, didn't waste much time with it. There's six jobs, or there were six jobs, there's now five, but there were six jobs open. So there was competition. You know, um, somebody else, um, New Orleans, or, you know, somebody else could have tried to go after him. So I think it was smart for them not to waste a lot of time, lock him up. He was easily the best coach available. There was nobody better than Doc Rivers. And so now we'll see what happens. It was interesting that it, NBA Commissioner Adam Silver, uh, during his press uh, briefing at the finals two days ago, he said that uh, he was disappointed about the lack of black coaches in the NBA right now, which before Doc was down to four. Um, and there's really nothing he could do to force a team to hire. He doesn't want to do a Rooney rule. But he, he felt optimistic that that number, that six was going to get uh, have a decent number of black coaches hired in that group. And he said, let's wait and see what happens. So, so far, I guess what he's saying sounds right. You know, Doc's going to get that job. Doc got the job. I wouldn't be surprised if Tyron Lue um, gets a job with the Clippers, uh, stays there or gets a job in New Orleans. Houston's open. Uh, they interviewed, they're going to interview David Vanderpool who is um, an assistant coach with the Minnesota Timberwolves, who's, who's ready. 
he's definitely ready for for the job. The one that's weird is Indiana. You know, I I haven't heard any names of any other than maybe Chauncey Billups, any black candidates for that job. The people that they've been interviewing, it just seems kind of strange. And remember a while ago, it was like, it sounded like it was a given that they're going to interview hire Dan Tony, but that hasn't happened. So um, it was five jobs open. I think if I was a betting man, I would say Tyron Lue gets the Clippers job. And I'll be really, really curious to see where the rest of the people go. But it, there certainly is a stronger eye on um, the candidates that they're interviewing and and considering. All right. And uh, last thing, why do you think that black coaches – we saw this happen to Nate McMillan too, where coaches who have had success but not quite the expectation – that maybe their teams thought of? Why have you seen that black coaches have paid for this more? Because Budenholzer lost in the second round, too, to a team yeah. that they weren't supposed to lose to. Yeah, it, you know what? It, it's a combination of things. It's um, how the owner feels about the coach, how the star feels, stars feel about the coach. Um, you know, I'm guessing with the Clippers, they didn't fight for Dr. Stay. I did hear that Kawhi was a fan of Doc's, but must not have been as a whole that they wanted Doc to stay or, you know, maybe some analytic people didn't like little things. Maybe they just felt like they needed a new voice. I didn't really understand it. A lot of people didn't understand it, but Doc's already got another job. So it's kind of a moot point. I think a lot of black coaches, they feel like, especially the ones that have, you know, paid their dues that every time, something comes up, the retread white coaches are always considered, but they got to jump through hoops to be considered. And that, that part is frustrating that they feel like, you know, the goalposts keep moving for them. Um, and that just goes back, I think, in a lot of ways to the importance of, you know, getting black ownership with teams that are rarely sold is, is a difficult thing to do. But I do think if you could get more black presidents, more black general managers, more people of color in executive roles, that could play, that could uh, strongly influence who's hired and who's being considered. So um, that is where I think things change is made. It's on the executive level. And perhaps if there are more black executives, executives of color, female executives, then you'll see a more diverse group of people being considered and ultimately hired. All right. Uh, thank you, Mark Spears, for joining us. Uh, we really appreciate it. All right. All right. Thanks for having me, and uh, best of luck to all y'all. This is, um, uh, I think, a great opportunity for, for you guys to – not only take back to your schools, but to take into the future. This is a, a feather in your cap. Don't take it lightly and try to squeeze everything you can from us at the Undefeated and, and from Mr. Roden. He, he is one of the world's treasures, the journalist treasures. So the, don't take lightly that you guys get to rub elbows with him all the time. And best of luck. All right. Thank you so much, man. Oh, thank, thank you. you.
Now to pick up on a topic we discussed briefly on the last podcast, Deion Sanders, Hall of Fame cornerback, one of the most recognizable figures in all of football history, is the head coach of Jackson State football. So, Jayla, after seeing the press conference, what do you expect this experience to be like? I expect this experience to be absolutely fantastic. Deion Sanders is already the most flashy coach in the swag and the press conference you already know like this is going to be big which is ultimately you know good for the swag because that means more eyes more recognition which you know eventually leads to more money and more opportunities so while the press conference and his presence here might seem you know disruptive to some or boisterous I think Deion Sanders coming to the swag and joining Jackson State is not only a breath of fresh air for them but also for the swag overall Right. So watching the press conference, you saw how all the HBCU life came in. The marching band was involved. There was a lot of gravitas. For those listeners who are not from HBCUs, pageantry that that is involved with HBCU culture. So how do you think Deion Sanders fits into that? He fits in very, very well. Like there's no denying that. His personality just fits with personality of HBCU you know everything's big everything's flashy everything is done with a purpose so I think this is a great fit and personally I'm excited for what he's going to bring to the SWAC and what he's going to bring Jackson State's program because with him there there's you can only go up right and also I think it's worth mentioning Jackson State is not only an HBCU but it's an HBCU in Mississippi which has seen kind of a shift in the way the players are viewing at their two Power Five schools. Mississippi State and Ole Miss have had issues with race relations in the past. And I think this year, we kind of saw that get amplified, especially when after the killing of George Floyd and the start of the Black Lives Matter movement. We saw running back Kylan Hill for Mississippi State take a stand and say that he wasn't going to play for the state of Mississippi unless something was done about the the racial injustice. It's also worth mentioning that Deion Sanders is going to be a coach in Mississippi, which has seen its fair share of racial injustice in the past. And even right now, this year, they finally got the stars and bars off of the Mississippi state flag. And we saw a lot of players really advocate for that to happen at both Ole Miss and Mississippi state. Obviously Mississippi is such a huge recruiting pool for black talent and for black athletes and right now is especially with a coach of that magnitude and a situation that ideal and in a black safe space that's supposed to be supportive for black athletes I definitely wouldn't be surprised to see Deion Sanders snatch a couple of the top recruits in the state and bring them over to Jackson State. Oh absolutely I think with Deion Sanders' influence and how important he is and you know a lot of people watch him and grew up watching him. Um, there are definitely going to be more transfers. There are definitely going to be, you know, more players to watch at Jackson State. There's going to be everything. He's bringing a big boost to their program. That's for sure. Like, you can't even deny that. It's going to be big this year. And I think for Sanders to succeed, he's going to obviously need money. I think one thing that gets lost when we talk about HBCU sports, it's not that black athletes don't know about HBCUs. We saw guys like Chris Paul. We see other athletes who have put a focus on HBCUs 
but didn't attend one themselves. And a big reason for this is the lack of funding for HBCUs. So I think if Deion Sanders is going to be successful, some of the guys in the NFL, some of just the famous for years in the past thing years now, you're going to need to he's going to need other black entrepreneurs, black businesses to kind of serve as boosters and help build up the program so they could get some of the training facilities that they need so they could get the money that they need. We saw over in University of Memphis, obviously this is different sports uh, and it was basketball, but Penny Hardaway was able to get a lot of recruit recruits coming in somewhat because of his experience with AAU system and how he was a head coach over there, but also because a lot of parents were looking at Penny Hardaway as a respected figure in the sport and wanted their sons and wanted their sons to learn how to be like Penny Hardaway. And I think the same thing can be said about Dion. You know, Dion's the arguably the greatest cornerback of, in NFL history. So I think that a lot of play, parents whose children are defensive backs and defensive players are going to want to be able to have their child learn from that mind. There's no denying the talent that Dion had, but it takes a great mind to be such a, an amazing player that he was for all those years. Um, one thing I do want to highlight is I just hope that, you know, him having such a big presence there, I hope it doesn't take away from the team. You no, know, I hope that they're going to be watching Dion Sanders the whole season, maybe the next couple seasons to come. I just hope that they're also watching the team and the attention is on the team. And then, you know, they see the talent they have over there. So that was one of my concerns or that was my biggest concern. So I hope that, you know, with all of the attention and, you know, the money that they're eventually going to get, you know, they're going to get it regardless. I just hope that this gives the talent that they have, you know, the shine that they deserve. And, you know, it really shines a light on some of the players that people might not have, you know, paid attention to or even known about had Deion Sanders not made the move over there. Right. And I think it is important to also temper expectations in general. Um, Deion Sanders is not going to bring a national championship to Jackson State just because it's not a Power 5 school. And we, we've seen t- schools like UCF in the past not be able to break the barrier despite whatever they do in the regular season. What we can see, though, is him upset a couple of top teams and, again, hurt the recruiting of those other big schools in the state. And I think that's going to be his biggest impact. You also talked about the eyes that Dion's going to bring. Let's not forget that he's bringing a whole new set of eyes to HBCUs that we have never seen before. And by that, I mean Barstool. He has two employers and one of them, for those who don't know, Barstool has had a history of racist remarks said by the owner of the news outlet, Dave Portnoy. And we've kind of seen this ideological shift in what HBCUs need to be, right? Before it was always prep about prepping black students to go into white spaces, but now that there's black businesses are on the rise, that we are seeing a stronger community with black businesses. HBCUs are just supposed to be safe spaces for black students as well. And is it appropriate to bring in Barstool who you know, has that historically racist past to an HBCU and to a black safe space? I don't think, especially on an HBCU, so a racist presence isn't acceptable on any campus, you know, but especially at an HBCU, which is seen as, you know, a safe haven and a great environment for black students. I think having them there 
isn't a good choice. It just, it doesn't make sense. You know, it makes sense from a financial, from a business standpoint, but like a social ethical standpoint, it makes no sense to have them on that campus with the history they have. It's like, you know, you're going to help us, but at what cost almost? The business, it's definitely going to, it's a positive for them, but ethically and socially and just looking at you know, the overall foundation of it, it just, it good look. Right. And HBCUs especially have to be noticeable of that. I remember at Morehouse, we had Papa John's on our campus before the video of him saying the N-word got out and Morehouse got him out of the paint, right? They made it a clear mission that Papa John's is not going to be welcomed back on our campus. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how Jackson State deals with this. And not just from a football team aspect, HBCUs are not run by their athletics program, other top institutions. HBCU athletics does deserve to have a voice in all of this, but there's other just students there. And what is, we can't pretend that having an organization such as Barstool that, or just any racist organization, let me take it away from Barstool right now. It affects the entire campus community and you don't want to hurt the campus and you don't want to hurt the culture. That's what makes HBCUs great. It's not about, you know, we're under funded we don't have the same resources that everyone else has but we have a great culture and anything that can disrupt that culture is definitely a risk that they're taking i trust jackson state's administration to do the right thing if something pops up that they need to challenge but for right now uh, you know we'll just see what happens but best of luck to Deion sanders and best of luck to their football team and hopefully they can figure this out and we can just praise Deion for bringing the recruits and bringing a light and bringing hbcus back to the light and HBCU athletics back to the spotlight after so many years of them being out of it. For the game time segment, this week's game time is going to be players people love to hate but can't help to root for. And Jayla, can you explain what brought this idea to your head? So this segment is about the players that people just love to hate. The players that you can't seem to stand or the players that you disagree with on just about everything, but you can't help, can't help but to root for them, you know, when they're on the field or on the court because they're just that good. So this segment was inspired by Jimmy Butler. Um, as we all know, Jimmy has a very strong reputation. He's been called every name in the book from disruptive to a locker room cancer, whether in the media or on there and some people just don't like him but as we've approached the finals some people have had to step back and admit like wow he's a really good player and anybody deserves the success he does so we want to take the time to think about you know like what are some players that we don't really like we don't really like them that much but when they're on the court or on the field you just we need to root for them so Parker who is the person who does the person that you you can't help but to hope is successful. For me, that's Cam Newton for the New England Patriots right now. Partially because of the New England Patriots and everything that goes into that organization. I'm from South Florida, so I had a hard time rooting for New England. But I found myself at the end of the Seahawks game on Sunday Night Football really wanting Cam to get in that last touchdown in the short yardage. I find myself in last week when he was, or Las Vegas Raiders, my also wanting him to just have a good showing and have a good game and you know all the theatrics that go on with cam newton everything that happened in carolina and just kind of the i wouldn't say drama that surrounds him but the controversy that surrounds him it seems that a lot of media outlets call him kind of a distraction on the football field and i don't necessarily think that's what he is i think i think the outfits are ridiculous i think like you can't just be 
wearing some of them hats that he's wearing just because of the way they look. But I also acknowledge that when it comes down to it, I want Cam to succeed because I want black quarterbacks to succeed. We have so few of them. I still feel the need to hold on to all of them, even the ones that are a little are a little bit like Cam. Mm-hmm. Speaking of controversy, my person is definitely Kyrie Irving. So I'm sure you all have seen some of the comments he said about, you know, having a player on his team that can, you know, make those shots late in the game and how he's always that person. But now that he's on the net, you know, he said that, you know, he can look to Kevin Durant to make those big shots, which is ultimately true. But to say that, and then when you look back, it's like, did you not have LeBron James on your team beforehand? Have you not had like other players who can be clutch in the fourth quarter, you know? So just comments like that. And I know you all have also heard the comments he made about, you know, the coaching with the Nets of how he doesn't think that, you know, the Nets really have a head coach. And I know a lot of people have been saying, you know, that's ignorant or that's arrogant. And I have to agree. Like everybody needs a coach. Like you're not a team unless you have a coach or somebody to help guide you. Because everybody, you know, needs that guiding hand. Everybody needs someone to lead. And a lot of things he says just make people go, huh? And that's why I just, I can't really get on the Kyrie Irving train unless it's on the court. He's so good and he has such a raw talent that I can't really help but to root for him no matter what team he's on. So having that rare talent and being able to do what he does and just being as, as confident and as skillful as he is, I've never been able to question him on the court, but I find myself constantly questioning him when he's off the court. So that's definitely my one person that I can root for you, but what? So matter movement had on week one. The NFL season is officially underway. And with the emphasis that the Black Lives Matter movement had on week one, it seems to have all disappeared in the following week. This week specifically, we saw the matchup of the two most prominent black quarterbacks in the sport on Monday Night Football without any mention of the Black Lives Matter movement, Mar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes. So I ask, has the NFL given up on Black Lives Matter? It seems like that might be the case. I'm not completely sure, but I'm leaning towards yes. I personally believe that the NFL knows their fan base very, very well. The NFL fan base is mostly conservative, mostly anti-Black Lives Matter movement, pro-anthem people. I think the NFL is doing the bare minimum because they do want to represent the demographic that takes up most of the league, which is Black people. Like, the NFL is mostly Black, and they want to represent them, but at the same time, they also want to cater to their fan base and try to cushion some of the financial blow that they're facing. So, I think they're trying to, they're trying to play devil's advocate and say, yes, we, we want to represent our players. We want to help our players. But at the same time, we don't want to lose our money. We don't want to lose our, our fan base, which balancing both of them is is dangerous. And I think the NFL, ultimately, they're going to have to make a choice. And, when, you know, whether that choice is tomorrow or, you know, halfway through the season, a choice needs to be made. And I just hope they're on the right side of history with this one. Right. We saw the fans boo in the season opener for the Chiefs and the Texans when they they just took it wasn't even during the anthem when the players just took a collective stand against racial injustice in the middle of the field and i think that probably has something to do with it they don't want to further alienate their fan base and they and we've seen that the nfl has struggled trying to balance standing up for the players but also being a league that's owned by there's 32 teams there's 31 white male owners and i think there's no way around that also in week one we saw they announced earlier that this was just going to be a week one thing kind of. when they said that in week one they are going to play lift every voice and sing of course they played the alicia keys version which wasn't the best choice if i could 
think of singers that I would want to have sing, lift every voice and sing. Alicia Keys isn't that high on the list. I'm not really one of those, let's bash on Alicia Keys people, but her, yeah. it, it's a certain kind of funk that goes into it. You got to have a little bit of fun with it. And I don't know if I would consider Alicia Keys a fun singer necessarily, but you know, it is what it is. It's what they chose to do. And now you kind of see them pulling back on it. Uh, some of the players that were protesting in week one and in week two, such as uh, Jimmy Graham and a couple other Chicago Bears players, they stopped raising their, even raising their fists during the anthem. So they haven't made, they've made the conscious decision that this isn't going to be how they show their views anymore. And I just hope that the players, players are ready to take that next step and ready to stand, stand like the NBA has and the WNBA has for Black Lives Matter in a way that isn't just whatever everyone else is doing. They need to make this movement about them. They need to make this movement about Black people, not about the NFL. So as much as I want to put the blame on the NFL, the issue is the players need to take control of the movement and they need to be the major voice in this because they're ultimately the only part of this that matters. So I know one thing NBA players, as we all know, the NBA had their, you know, infamous walkout you know, starting with the Bucks. Do you think something like that would be possible in the NFL? I think that when you look at the NFL and you look up not only the racial dynamics of the NFL being a little bit different, but they are not necessarily in the same political standpoint as the NBA. And I think it wouldn't be possible to see that happen in, in the NFL. They're not just not aligned on the same view. That's very true. I also agree with your point that this this starts with the players. Everything that's happened with the NBA has started with the players. And even the WNBA, who is even more outspoken than the NBA, you know, everything starts with the players. And I think if the NFL, you know, or NFL players, rather, if they want to see the change that they're seeing in other leagues, it has to start with them. They cannot sit back and wait for, you know, coaches or, or owners to say, like, here, we're going to give you this representation. You have to say you want that representation. You have to you have to be active. You have to step up like the other leagues have. And I think until that happens, we're going to we're gonna stay where we are now. That is all we have for you today. Thank you to our guest, Mark Spears. Special thanks to Christina Buswell. Also want to always send our appreciation to the undefeated team. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, make sure you subscribe to another great ESPN podcast, The Right Time with Bomani Jones. Bomani weighs in on sports, pop culture, social topics, and much more. And it's one of the greatest podcasts on ESPN. Thank you for listening, and until next time.